And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. So glad you're with me today. I hope your day's going good. We have a great show coming up. Uh, Linda Hansen's going to be joining me, and she is uh, was a good friend of Herman Cain, and his service is today. I am so happy to invite to the program Linda Hansen. She's the former Deputy Chief of Staff to Herman Cain, political strategist, and she's a podcast host and also and founder and president of Prosperity 101. She's with me here today to talk about... Uh, her relationship uh, working for Herman and her love for him and just all we learn about him as a man of God and and his uh, great business acumen and everything else we can learn from Linda. Linda, welcome. Well, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. So you think Herman was just an amazing guy. I want to know more about him. Oh, he was definitely an amazing guy. He is uh he was one of a kind, as we all are, of course, uh, created in God to be very unique. But uh, uh, Mr. Kane, as I affectionately call him, uh, was larger than life in a lot of ways. Uh, he just was humble. He had a great sense of humor, mm-hmm. his love of God, his love of God, his love for his family, and his love of country just came out of every part of him. It was just an amazing uh, journey to know him and work with him for 12 plus years. And I, I just feel really incredibly blessed to have had such a close friendship. Yeah. Linda, you wrote a great article for Newsmax. And let me just read a line. He was honest, authentic, and loyal. He was deeply committed to Jesus Christ, his family, and his country in that order. And everything he did revolved around those priorities. What a, what a powerful statement about a, a man. Uh, what a beautiful legacy. Oh, he he does leave an amazing legacy, and he was honest, authentic, and loyal. You know, one of the things about uh, being a public figure is that, you know, the press uh, will take swipes at you, and somehow people begin to believe things regardless of whether they're true or not. And to those of us who knew Mr. Kane and worked with Mr. Kane, we know the character of Mr. Kane. And um, and people may wonder why I call him Mr. Kane when the rest of the world calls him Herman. <laughs> but when he when he was, I always used to call him Herman. But when he was rising in the polls and uh, really looked like we could actually get the nomination and potentially elect him as the leader of the free world, I remember telling our chief of staff at the time that uh, we really needed to teach. The entire staff, or really demand from the entire staff, that they call him Mr. Kane, and nobody could call him Herman anymore. And ever since that time, I've never been able to call him anything else but Mr. Kane, other than boss or something. Yeah. That, with two terms of endearment that I use often with him. Let me just make a little note to my producer Rebecca. Can you can you start calling me Mr. Arnold? I can try. All right, that'll be good. I won't feel very natural well, for a while. Of course I won't. Okay. Okay. We'll work on that. Though. We'll work on it. So, uh, <laughs> Linda, you are you are one of two people who recruited him to run for president and then and then to serve as the executive vice uh, president and deputy chief, chief of staff for his campaign. That's pretty impressive. Well, thank you. It was uh, a God thing. That's all I can say is... Uh, We just knew that America wanted a businessman in the White House. And working with Mr. Kane for several years uh, prior to his run for uh, the presidency, uh, we could see what America was longing for was that authentic leadership, true character, Mm -hmm. and a real sense of business. 
of, of how to run government like a business. And I think that uh, we really, even though he didn't make it to the White House, <laughs> we can see that we sort of set the table for a businessman in the White House. I know my, my dear friend, Katie McFarland, uh, also wrote a piece about Herman Cain. It was published on foxnews.com on the day that he died. And she basically was saying he was Trump before Trump. And I actually was um, actually in Trump Tower with Corey Lewandowski uh, be several weeks before the infamous escalator ride uh, when uh, Donald Trump announced his presidency. But I remember telling Corey at the time, we had to let Kane be Kane and you need to let Trump be Trump. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's there's so much that our nation needs right now. Our nation needs authentic leadership. Our nation needs economic leadership. Our nation needs uh, someone to uphold the Constitution, to uphold all of those freedoms that our forefathers, the men and women who've gone before us, have fought for to uphold for us. Uh, we're speaking right now because we have, we still in this country have freedom of speech. We have freedom of religion. We have freedom of press, of assembly. Uh, those things can be lost. And I believe Herman Cain uh, and everything we fought for on that campaign, as well as what we're all fighting for now to help our country, uh, not only helps create a, a better America, but a better world. Yeah. Um, he had such a uh, ability to, when he spoke, to uh, instill confidence in people. He was encouraging. He spoke with authority. Uh, he spoke with so much self-confidence, which I think really translated. I mean, I, I liked Herman the instant I saw him on TV. I thought, I like this guy. And I'm just curious, uh, Linda, what are some of the things that you learned from him that you are going to uh, take into your life going forward as a result of spending time with him? Oh. Or is that list too uh, long? So much, no, it's just, uh, yeah, the list is very long, uh, but I hear him in my mind all the time. Uh, simplify, simplify, simplify. Um, uh, your job is to do your job. These are, we call them canisms. We had several canisms. Um, do what's right, uh, um, which I was taught anyway, but right. just hearing him say it all the time, I always pushed it forward. But, you know, he... He was someone who could simplify difficult concepts. And um, I think you mentioned before my podcast and my work with Prosperity 101, um, this was something I created to help employers educate employees about the public policy issues that affect their jobs, right? Mm -hmm. I really feel like there's a lot of employees who go to the voting booth and they vote themselves right out of the job because they don't understand that the people they're voting for do not care about business-friendly policies. They don't care about the industry in which their employer, uh, you know, tries to, to build a business. They don't really understand that it takes a healthy business to have a healthy economy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I had written this book, and I, I really wanted his advice, so I went to him. And at the time, he was a radio announcer on WSB Radio in Atlanta, and he told me, Linda, I get calls from people on my radio station all the time. He said, they don't need Prosperity 101. They need Prosperity 1. Mm. And <laughs> and that has been in my mind ever since. And it's just he had a gift of simplifying. And I think if he taught me anything that, well, I mean, he taught me so much. You can't just say it in one word. But 
um, to, to simplify the message. And I think that's why he had such a great appeal because he, he didn't pretend to be anything he wasn't. You know, he was authentic. He, he always used to say that, um, you know, if, if his aunt and uncle couldn't understand it, then we had to simplify it. Yeah. You know, and uh, he just, he never forgot his roots never forgot where he came from and the humble beginnings. And he just wanted to make sure that whatever he did could elevate people. And for me, that's what I hope to do as well. Yeah. So you asked before about um, recruiting him to be president. And that was really just such an honor. Uh, we had worked together in grassroots politics. We'd done a lot of prosperity one-on-one things together. We had, spoken together at many political events uh, with large crowds, everything. And this is where we could always see that America was yearning for someone like Herman Cain mm -hmm. to run for president. They, they just needed that leadership. They were crying out. And uh, so my colleague at the time and his good friend and colleague as well, um, Mark Block, who was the chief of staff, we put together a strategy and took it to Mr. Kane and said, uh, we think you should run for president and we can take you to number one, <laughs> to which he looked at us with that infectious grin and those <laughs> you know, twinkling eyes and said, you guys are crazy. And I said, I know, but we can take you to number one, which I'm still you know, really blessed to say that we were able to do, even though we didn't get him to the White House, but uh, we did take him to number one and held him there for about six weeks. And uh, his policies and his impact uh, really changed the course of history, I believe. And to this day, when people know that I worked with Herman Cain, the first thing I hear is 999. All right. Right. <laughs> Signature program. Yeah. All right, let me take a little yeah. break. Linda Hansen is my guest. She's former Dep Deputy Chief of Staff to Herman Cain. She's a political strategist, a podcast host, and founder and president of Prosperity 101. We'll be back after a short break. to Afternoons with Bill Arnold, that we want to hear from you. We'd love to know what you think about the show. Well, most of us do. Bill says this week he's only accepting five-star reviews. Either way, you can take the official Afternoons with Bill Arnold listener survey. It just takes a couple of minutes and you get a chance to win an Amazon gift card. Text the word survey to 877-933-2484. Find it online at myfaithradio.com slash survey. Back to the show. So glad to have Linda Hansen as my guest. She is the former deputy chief of staff to Herman Cain. She's a political strategist. She's a podcast host, and she's also founder and president of Prosperity 101. We're chatting about her relationship and uh, her influence that Herman Cain had on her. And I was wondering, as he rose in the ranks, and he was 
getting more popular. I know the 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 press went after him. The, of course, they always go after uh, candidates with you know vicious attacks. And as a, a guy who is a follower of Jesus and a man of integrity and character, how did he take all that? How was he resilient? Did he sort of brush it off, or how did it go? Uh- I would tell you that Mr. Kane is someone who never skipped a beat in terms of trusting God for the situation. Uh, We prayed together the very night it started. Uh, It was something that we took to prayer. Um, He really, he had a, a big policy speech at the National Press Club, I believe the next day, and the press was all over it. And he just looked at us and said, we're not going to let them get us off our message. This is a distraction. We need to stay focused. And along with simplify, 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 he would always say, focus, focus, focus. <laughs> so we just went ahead and and pushed through. We weren't going to let it distract us. And I will tell you that he was so brave in that, and so was his family. And the press was brutal, mm-hmm. brutal to all of them and to all of us. But his trust in God, I would see him turn to the Word of God. I would see him in prayer. I would pray with him. Um, it, it was just an incredible experience to walk through that with him and his family and our staff as we just watched this attack on such a wonderful man. So mm-hmm. It just wasn't fair, but it is politics. And, uh, you know, it's... It's hard to see, but he really set a great example. You know, it caused my respect for him to grow, actually, just watching how he faced that trial. Mm-hmm. And with COVID-19, was there much of a, a chance to have a funeral service for Mr. Kane? Um, the services are uh, going to be private, family only. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think, I mean, they're a private family. And so I just ask that people... Uh, do pray for the family, pray for his wife and children and grandchildren. But also um, there is on the HermanCain.com website, I think there's information about a scholarship fund that has been set up at Antioch Baptist Church, where he was also a pastor. Oh, wow. Many people don't realize that he was also I didn't know a that. pastor. He was an ordained minister. And wow. um, so, yeah, he's, a, he's just a man. He actually was a rocket scientist too. I don't know if people knew that. He was a rocket scientist before everything else, for real. Wow, I didn't know that. And, I'm thinking about putting that on my resume, rocket scientist. They yeah. should get some attention somewhere. <laughs> well, then your assistant would use the word mister in front of your name. <laughs> no, that would be nice. Yes, you know, little, I would. A little bit of mister would be nice. <laughs> but uh, he, yes, a man of many talents, and his leadership skills were exemplary. But um, for those who would like to honor him, please do uh, visit HermanCain.com. Uh, or you could find uh, my post about it on LinkedIn, um, and I do have the address of where you can send a donation for that scholarship fund. But that's what the family has requested in lieu of flowers or yeah. anything else. Yeah, so, that's yeah, lovely. It's, uh, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, he reached so many people. Um, I've had messages from people I've never met on um, just how he touched their life. And uh, I know that when he dropped out, of the race, so many people can still say exactly where they were. It was, it's not quite like when Kennedy was shot, but mm-hmm. to a lot of people, it was similar. It, it, 
because what had been built was a movement. People had no idea that we were organized down to the, the precinct level in 50 states. Not every precinct, you know, we hadn't gotten there yet, but our grassroots army, it was a movement of people. I mean, we had 15,000 people show up at his announcement rally. Oh, wow. And, and that was, at that time, the largest political rally in the history of the country. Oh, my. Now, the media pundit and the establishment politicians, you know, basically ignored us. Uh, however, as we watched 15,000 people come together to Centennial Olympic Park in May of 2011 for this non-politician businessman to announce his presidential campaign, I knew that we were changing the course of history. Mm -hmm. And I knew that God had ordained this time. You know, we we were just there for, like Queen Esther, such a time as this. Yeah. And we just had to watch it unfold. And you know, t- today I was really thinking about Romans eight twenty eight that that all things do work together for good for them that love God. And you know, he God has His time for things. I have struggled with the passing of Herving Cain. I have struggled with his death. Um, I've grieved. Um, I trust God, but I grieve here on earth, right? And. Uh, I was listening uh, to my last podcast episode with him that I had recorded uh, shortly before he went into the hospital, actually. So I was blessed to be able to have a really great conversation with him right before he fell ill. But when I opened up the podcast to listen, the title is Stop Dreaming of a Better Yesterday. The water tastes the same. And in that, I just heard his voice saying, stop dreaming of a better yesterday. And I felt like he was telling me, you know, Hanson, as he affectionately called <laughs> me, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, is, uh, don't worry, I'm okay. Yesterday's past. Focus and move forward. You know, so. What a great reminder. Just, yeah, it was really great. So I encourage people to listen to that. He also shares in there a story of his youth where um, he snuck a sip from the wrong water fountain. And so I'll leave that to people to listen to, but it's, he has some great stories. He was a, an amazing communicator. Um, his leadership, he always said leadership is common sense. And uh, he was a problem solver. He said, you know, I'm a, I'm a problem solver. So I feel just incredibly blessed to have had this opportunity to know him for so many years. Um, We actually were supposed to have a phone call on the day he was admitted into the hospital. And that podcast episode I just mentioned actually published the day he went into the hospital. And I thought, I texted him and said, okay, it's up, you know, it's ready. You can post it, listen to it. And I thought, it's odd. He didn't text me right back. And now I know why. But um, so I, God had his time for that as well, but um, I, I would encourage anyone, if they are looking to learn how to be a better leader, how to be a better uh, business person, how to increase our own character, to read his books, uh, to listen to his speeches, and mm-hmm. um, and he always said to America needs a sense of humor, so don't forget to laugh. Oh, amen <laughs> That's one to that. Thing that I yeah, that's one thing that I uh, truly loved about him is he. we had so many laughs together, and he had a 
fantastic sense of humor and um, is just an honor to work with him. Mm-hmm. Linda, I know his uh, his last uh, three weeks or so, he had the coronavirus, and that was uh, in part due to his uh, death. And there was much uh, said in the press about whether or not uh, he was picked that up at the Tulsa rally with President Trump. Do you do you do you make do you connect any of those dots, or do you think that he traveled quite a bit? And who knows where he, he got traveled it? quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, he was all over the country prior to that. Um, I know he had been in Las Vegas, I believe uh, Denver, I think. Uh, not to mention he had gone places in his hometown near Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So he was all over. He was on airplanes, in airports. Uh, no one can tell where he got it. And another thing that I'd like to set the record straight is he was someone who took uh, COVID-19 very seriously. In fact, on his daily uh, broadcast, which he he posted on HermanCain.com and was part of, um, also published through Western Journal, um, he talked about using masks and sanitizing and, you know, social distancing. He was very serious about that. But because there was one picture where people didn't have masks on, which they did have masks on before that, yeah. uh, he, you know, the press goes after him. Yeah. But they, just like is often true in media, they don't look beyond the headline or oh, beyond the, the little clip. So if you look at Herman Cain in context, you, in context, you see that he did care about COVID-19. He was very careful. I know he was. Yeah. And he took good care of his health. I mean, as a former uh, or as a cancer survivor, he was very careful about his health. In fact, one of the business um, endeavors we were working on together is a, a company that had some products that helped your health. And uh, that was one of the reasons we were supposed to talk on the oh, day boy. that he went into the hospital. Yeah. So uh, he he was someone who was very responsible. He was not careless. He took it seriously. That's good to know. And so all these accusations are not true. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that, Linda. And thank you for doing the show. It's really been a delight uh, meeting you and hearing about uh, Mr. Herman Cain. So thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you so much. And I, I really appreciate your station as well. I grew up in the Twin Cities area. I was a graduate of Minnetonka High School. Nice. And my, my family had restaurants there, Tonto's Taco Shop, for anyone who remembers nice. them. Yeah. And uh, I just really appreciate uh, the opportunity to uh, join your show. So yeah. thank you so You're much. You're very welcome. My, to all my Minnetonka classmates, I say hello. But <laughs> <laughs> and thank you so much for honoring Mr. Kane. Of course. For sharing his legacy and for giving an opp- opportunity for people to learn more about him. Thank you so thank much. You. Linda Hans has been my guest. We'll take a short break and be right back.
nice to have Dr. Rebecca Reed back on the program. If you have not headed over to her uh, website, RebeccaReed.net, I highly encourage you to do so. You can sign up for free to get on her mailing list to get her blogs as soon as they come out. Get them nice and fresh. And then she is nice enough to come on the show and uh, regularly share with us uh, the stories that she writes. And she is a Hebrew scholar, but she can turn around and take any everyday ordinary object and turn it into a, a lesson and a biblical application that you will not forget. Here she's with us again today. Rebecca, welcome back. Well, it's very nice to be drinking a lemonade on your porch again. It is so nice <laughs> of you to do so. And uh, feel free to put your feet up. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Oop, not on that. On the other one. On the ottoman. There you go. Okay. All right. So we're going to talk about the stick today. I'm excited to hear about that. Yeah. So um, the title of the, of the blog I wanted to talk about is, as you said, called The Stick, which is a meditation on what it's like to cope with uh, loss that is deep and long term. And right now as a nation, we could definitely say that we're contending with that kind of lo- a loss on a large scale because of the pandemic. I mean, we have loss of life, literally, in the hundreds of thousands, and then loss of our way of life right. as we take measure, measures to fight COVID. Um, and at the same time, um, it's a unique moment in our history as a nation. We are acknowledging that we have lost our way in terms of the social justice that's required by the Bible, and we desperately need to do something about it. So that's another um, crossroads of you know, deep and long-term loss that we have to cope with. And, you know, if you want to add a third factor into the mix, um, we're even in danger of losing our home because we have disasters that are both natural and man-made um, consuming our planet. You know, so that's something else that we're kind of thinking about in terms of large-scale, deeply entrenched uh, losses. But the thing I kind of wanted to focus on today was, you know, all those losses are, are overwhelming enough, but what about the losses that we experience on an individual scale? Um, which may look different from person to person. And I'll start by talking about um, some of the losses that I, as an individual, experience. So um, my son is almost eight years old, and he has autism. And since his diagnosis, he was diagnosed about one and a half years old, so we've been living with this diagnosis for quite a while. Um, We've been dealing with devastating loss basically on a daily basis. And that happens kind of for two reasons, and it, both, of, both of those reasons are grounded in the whole comparison thing that you know you shouldn't do in your head, but you inevitably do no matter what the issue is. And, you know, special needs parents can't help but notice with kind of a constant and stinging clarity the difference between their kids and typical kids, whether they're, you know, bringing their child into school and they see or they're at a birthday party, they're at church, whatever. They just see it. You can't, you can't help but not see it. Yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't not see it. Mm-hmm. And, and then the other aspect is special needs parents constantly have to adjust to the fact that the kid that they have may not at all match the idealized, the idealized kid that they imagined when they dreamed of being parents. So they might have dreamed of, you know, I'm going to do this with my kid. I'm going to read my favorite stories and cook, make, bake cookies and take them to this place and that place. And then the child that comes to you needs drastically different things from you, and you can't do any of those things. So it's sort of a loss of that idealized child that you are carrying around your head that you also have to cope with. So um, the story I wanted to tell today begins with my husband and I deciding to take our son um, to the Quinnipiac River here in Connecticut. And um, there's a fenced walkway that follows the river. 
and people stroll there and they fish there and it's sort of in a semi-enclosed place and so it's easy for us to keep track of him and so we thought it would be a good place to let him run around and you know get some exercise because all parents whether you have a special needs child or not it's hard to it's been hard to like find places to let your kid you know exercise and get out there with all the social distancing so we found this place and we decided okay let's go and before we actually went, got in the, the car for the trip, somehow I got it into my head that my son would enjoy taking a stick and dragging it against the metal fence along the river. Kind of like one of those, I don't know, it's kind of an idealized Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn kind of thing mm-hmm. to do. You imagine a little boy dragging a stick along a picket fence. Well, I thought, you know, he loves making these uh, repetitive noises. And I thought he's going to love, you know, taking this stick and and going along that metal fence and he's going to love how that sounds. And I'd like to try that with him. So I went through the toys and things that we had at home and I found this really nice ring stacker that we had. And I don't know whether the audience can picture it, but I'll describe it. And it's basically has a base and a long stick goes into that base and then uh, rings of different sizes stack Mm -hmm. on the um, ring. So I had one that was particularly nice and you could take the stick out and it had sort of a nice length to it and a kind of a heft to it. And I thought that's going to sound perfect. It's this nice heavy plastic and when it goes against the metal, it's going to make a nice sound. So I put it in my backpack and we get on the under, you know, get on the road and we pull up to the, to the river and I'm feel inside my heart. I'm getting excited about this. And I don't say anything. We just start walking towards the river. And um, just kind of I subtly start to walk a little bit ahead of my son, take the the stick out of my backpack, and start dragging it along the fence to show him how this game was going to be played. And immediately my son runs up, grabs the stick out of my hand, and my heart just lifts, I think, to myself. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. He's going to love doing it. And I'm going to love watching him have a great time doing this little activity. So, of course, you know, that's not what happened. (laughs) Um, Before I could blink, my son pulled back his arm and threw that stick straight into the river. And I mean, he pitched it. It went like right into the middle of the river. Um, And in a split second, you know, there went the critical piece of a rather expensive toy that was now ruined. And there also went a critical piece of my heart right along with it because, you know, their, their part of me got torn apart for the millionth, millionth time as a special needs parent. You know, it seems to me, and I, I don't understand why I have this, um, I don't know what you want to call it, like a recurring naivete. <laughs> I keep forgetting that my child just can't respond in the you know, quote unquote, normal way, like other kids mm-hmm. when presented with, with certain situations. And that I somehow need to sort of emotionally budget for that. But, um, you know, I need to somehow prepare myself for a disappointing, or in this case, it was a destructive response from him when I was trying to give him a gift. But, you know, how do you do that? Much less, how do you remember to do that every time, you know, you want to do something nice for your kid? So I haven't figured that one out yet. And I've talked to other special needs parents and they say, yeah, we have that kind of amnesia too. We keep forgetting, you know, we keep setting these things up and they keep like blowing up in our faces and yet we keep setting them up again. And, you know, it's that eternal optimism you want to have for your kid, that hope. 
Um, so, you know, back to the story, what was there for us to do as a family except to just keep on walking? We were there. We needed to get a little exercise. So, But instead of this happy, you know, clang, clang, clang noise that I was expecting to hear, there was just this terrible silence. And I was really struggling in, inside, you know. I knew that I should just sort of let it go. And that's something that special needs parents, you know, learn very quickly is you just got to let the situation go and try for the next time, you know. Um, part of me just wanted to sort of let it go and start weeping. Um, part of me wanted to go numb because there's this, you're like walking this tightrope between, you know, completely falling apart, but knowing you have to kind of hold it together in the moment. Um, and all of me still wanted to feel this deep love and affection for my boy, but it was hard to because um, whether he meant it or not, I felt like he had really rejected me and rejected, you know, all that I had put, all that I had invested in this little activity for him. It was like he had rejected my love. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of hard to feel that, that love and affection that you always want to feel for your kids. And, you know, worse yet, into that silence, there was this dark voice. You know, you can call it autism. You can call it a spiritual enemy. But it just was casually saying to me, I can mess with you anytime I want because your boy is mine. And try putting on a brave face with that tape running in your head, (laughs) which it did. It ran in my head until we almost made it back to the car, which was we had parked by this little rocky area. Um, by the shore. And that, that's where I was. That's the headspace I was in. That was the heart space I was in. And again, we were just engulfed in this silence. Um, and my husband was walking ahead, holding my, my son's hand very tightly. And suddenly, when I least expected it, I saw something. And there was a bit of white bobbing in the dark water. And it was being driven towards the shore where there was this like little rocky area uh, by the currents of the river. And, you know, I take a closer look and quite impossibly it's the stick. (laughs) (laughs) And also quite impossibly it's moving fast enough by those currents that it's going to intersect with our path very shortly. Because even if it was the stick, if it weren't traveling at the right, in the right direction at the right pace, my son would never have tolerated just waiting around for it to come. You know, mm-hmm. he, has, he has trouble with long waits. So I call to my husband. He transfers, the, you know, my son to me, takes off his shoes. You know, I got to love him for this. Those are slippery racks filled with, like, not-so-pleasant things. <laughs> There's a factory right, you know, right mm-hmm. across the river. Takes off his shoes, crawls under those slippery rocks, stretches out his arm, and snatches that stick from the water. And, you know, five minutes later, we're in the car. And for all intents and purposes, if anybody had looked at us on the outside, we looked exactly like we did driving in. It was two adults in the front, one, one kid in the back, and there was a stick safely stowed in the trunk. Um, but as we drove home, something was, like, literally thundering inside of me. I just knew that I had had a divine encounter, but it was hard for me to interpret what that meant. I just knew something had happened. All right, Rebecca, I think this might be a good time to take a short pause because this story has got a lot of momentum and I can't wait to get back to it. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I hope this 90 seconds passes quickly. Dr. Rebecca Rhee is my guest. You can always head to RebeccaRhee.net. We'll be right back. to Afternoons with Bill Arnold, that we want to hear from you. We'd love to know what you think about the show. Well, most of us do. Bill says this week he's only accepting five-star reviews. Either way, you can take the official Afternoons with Bill Arnold listener survey. It just takes a couple of minutes and you get a chance to win an Amazon gift card. Text the word survey to 877-933-2484. Welcome back to the show. My guest is uh, Rebecca Ree. We're hearing a story called The Stick. And boy, this is so interesting, Rebecca, how you had this little moment of the stick is gone for good and now it's back in the car. So pick up where yep. you left off. So Okay, so I'm trying to figure out what happened. So um, I, go, I go to the Bible for some help, and I was reminded of a story about somebody else that loses something precious in the river. And it's found in 2 Kings or 2 Kings 4. And it's about the prophet Elisha and his protégés and um, or, you know, his his uh, prophets in the, in training. Well, we'll just call them his protégés for, for our purposes. So the protégés are building housing for themselves. And so they go to the Jordan River and they are busy cutting down trees. And as one of the protégés swings his axe, the, the axe head comes loose and plunges straight into the water. And out of the mouth of this protege flies, you know, an expression of loss. We've been talking about loss. He says, alas, my master, it, and by it, he means the axe head, it was borrowed. And in response, Elisha says, where did it fall? And when the protege shows him, Elisha cuts off a stick, throws it in the water, and causes the axe head to miraculously float. Um, and then the protege, just like my husband, reaches out his hand, stretches it over the water, and snatches that uh, axe head to recover it. And now I want to make clear um, right now to give us some context. By this point, Elisha was a very well-known miracle worker. In fact, some of his miracle workers sound um, a lot like um, somebody from the New Testament. He had fed a multitude. He had healed somebody of leprosy, and he had even raised a dead boy. So um, it's not surprising to me that Elisha was able to recover the axe head. What surprised me about in this passage is that he recovered the axe head without being asked to do so. You know, the protege never even speaks a word of petition to his master. All we hear are words of lament. And in the Hebrew, if we were to translate it more literally, it would say, alas, my master, my master, it i.e. the axe head, it was asked. The the borrowed word literally means it was asked. I asked that thing from somebody. Um, So after reading that passage, I understood why I was thundering inside after my husband recovered that stick, which was when that stick fell into the river, I was so wrapped up in my shock and my grief that I never once stopped to pray about the situation. And I really thought about it. I really didn't. I never said help. I never asked. 
And yet God answered me and brought me that renegade stick back as if I had asked. Wow. And more, and more importantly, he immediately, and, and, you know, these answers don't always come immediately, but this time he immediately addressed that dark voice in my head. And he said, what you think is yours is not yours. It's mine, and I reclaim it now. Now, <laughs> this kind of immediate and undeserved divine response does not make sense to me. You know, even though my theology on paper is, you know, as correct as it could be, and I, I, even though I have this theology, and even though I have all this education in biblical studies, I basically le- le- live as an unbeliever of the gospel. If you like dig down to my, you know, the heart, the place where I live every day, I try to earn everything good that I get, and I try to keep bad things at bay by having good behavior. Um, and again, I've studied the Bible a lot, and this is how I live. And I think um, I've also seen a lot of miracles, and I still live this way. And I think this is true for many of us as Christians, um, no matter how much we've studied or how many miracles we've seen. Um, and I think more than anyone. My husband understands that I live by this playground sense of justice, and I think that's why he took off his shoes and risked those slippery rocks when I, when it really would have made more sense for him to just say, let's cut our losses and go home. <laughs> he, like, he knew I needed to have that experience of direct and immediate love um, to answer the loss that I had just gone through. And um, that is why someone like me has a shot of coming back from a terrible loss, even when she hasn't earned it through prayer or anything else. Because I've been shown again and again through people, and I can only say it this way, they have loved me enduringly. And they have showed me that sometimes others will anticipate what you need, God included, and they give it to you even when you're still busy lamenting. And the way I put it in the blog was, Sometimes the cavalry arrives while you're still tallying up the losses. Sometimes, alas, suffices. And do you know who else needed that direct and immediate demonstration of love? Um, I was reminded of Peter when he was walking on the water towards Jesus and the wind and the waves, you know, distracted him in the midst of his miracle and he starts to sink. Jesus stretches his arm out over the water. Again, we've got that image of the arm stretched out over the water. And he pulls his beloved disciple back up, even though he was not exercising perfect faith in that moment. Mm-hmm. In, in fact, Jesus even chides Peter. He says, why did you doubt? And by that, I have to believe Jesus meant, you know, don't you know that I'm always here from you, here for you? Don't you know that you are always mine? Just like that voice was saying in my head, you're always mine. Um, so I just wanted to encourage anyone that's in that difficult place that the next time you find your heart breaking or your voice constricting or your soul fragmenting into shards of pain and unbelief, remember that your maker views helping you as a complete no brainer. He is perpetually planning things for you that he hopes will please and strengthen you. And when you respond to circumstances more like a maxed out child than a mature believer, the story is hardly, hardly over. The wind and the waves still obey him, causing what is lost to be found. Incredible. You're really speaking to me directly today, Rebecca, which is what you do most days, but today in particular. 
a couple, a little bit of practical bit of advice. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've, talked about, <laughs> we've talked about that image of the arm stretched over the water about to recover what is lost, right? But what was equally important in the, the story that I told you about, you know, our family by the river was there was this um, invisible underground current playing a part in bringing that stick back to me. And I think for us, we can interpret that as prayer, like intercession, and specifically intercession that we can't necessarily do for ourselves in the moment. I think it's important um, as we mature as Christians to develop a circle of people around us who pray for us and who can get those invisible currents moving when we are immobilized in our own pain, because inevitably we are going to slam into some kind of loss. And we need each other to cope, um, you know, cope and overcome. Um, and we need to find God and find our grounding in him again. And so we need others to, I have an email chain that I send my SOSs out to when I feel like I can't even pray. I'm still just trying to stand on my feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple of other small things I would, I would just add this is, you know, we can't go by our own thoughts and feelings um, because those are going to mislead us. You know, that my, my own thoughts and feelings when my son threw that stick, you know, in the water were taking me to a very dark place. Sometimes we have to rely on the thoughts and feelings of those who are wise and compassionate, who aren't in a dark place and who God has placed in our lives. And, you know, don't be surprised. Some of that wisdom and com- compassion could come from very surprising places. You know, you never want to discount who God may use to speak into your darkness and to be that immediate and direct response. To a loss you may have just experienced. Um, and then the last thing I would add would be, you know, when that dark voice speaks, you know, so casually and so cruelly into your heart, you know, we have to have a ready answer to that. that that's no joke. The strength and the, the sort of intimate knowledge that voice has of us has to, has to have like a really robust answer. And I find those answers in the Bible, in the scripture, and in the stories that I find there. So that would be my little bit of practical advice in terms of coping with our losses. Really, really powerful message today, Rebecca. As always, thank you um, for sharing that. It's, you know, I think of, of Peter when he stepped out onto the water and then he started to sink. And I doubt as he was sinking, he was starting to pray. He was probably just <laughs> flat out panicking. Yeah, I think in, in one of the ver- at least one of the versions he does say like "Master, save me." Like he does cry out, but it's 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 not what you would you would call like you know a highly theological um, and uh, well grounded prayer. It's you know it's like you said, it's more of a, a, a an uh, I don't know what you would call it, just an outcry, mm-hmm. you know, an outcry of the, of panic. Yeah. So thank you again for. Um coming on the show and sharing uh, this incredible story. This, this story is called The Stick, and if you go to Rebecca Rees' uh, website, you can uh, sign up to be on her blog and get these sent to your uh, email box regularly when they come out, and I think you'll be glad you did. I know I am, and I look forward to uh, every fresh entry that comes out, Rebecca, so thank you for uh, sharing, and thank you for coming on the show. Oh, you're welcome, and I just want to say this. You can gu- I can guarantee you that stick is never leaving my house again. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I already know that? Thank you so much for uh, putting that in. So you can, yeah, 
Rebecca uh, Ree has been my guest. Go to Rebecca Ree, R-H-E-E dot net, and you can uh, read her blog and sign up to get on her uh, emailing all for free. Rebecca, thank you so much, and have a great rest of the day. Thank you, Bill. That's all the show we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in, and thank you for being such uh, great supporters of Faith Radio. It means the world to me. I hope you have a wonderful night. Psalm 20, verse 4 says, May he give you the desires of your heart and make all your plans succeed. Time to ring the bell. See you next week.